Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to the Muscova Media Podcast. I appreciate everybody for listening and sharing and commenting and reposting the show. Um, We got some new listeners from India, so I'm really happy about that, spreading the knowledge and the word and, 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 and just, you know, it's global. You know, podcasts are global. Um, all the different platforms we are enable us to be global. And um, I'm very thankful for that, you know, especially with our last guest that we had on. um, She was really uh, sharing so much wisdom and philosophical knowledge that, you know, it it addresses so many aspects of life. And um, when Versa uh, Manos uh, stopped by, it was surely a great blessing uh, to be had. And uh, we really appreciate her. And um, very, very thankful. So, you know, as we continue to expand and grow our listenership across um, Block Talk Radio, which is home to uh, thousands of podcasts, um, great, great podcasts. So thankful to be on there. Uh, Spotify, uh, if, you, if you have Spotify, you can go on there as well. And um, check out the podcast because we have so many great episodes uh, but if you want the archive archives go to block talk radio slash muscova enterprises.com and also 
if you um, are on iTunes. I know people with the iPhones, you know, we, we love our iPhones, we love spreading knowledge, and we love, um, you know, the simplicity of it all, which is why uh, apps like Clubhouse um, choose the iPhone platform to put out their app um, so that they could beta test it or whatnot, um, so it could be all uniform and, you know, not multiple people on different, um, you know, versions of one 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 um operating system so it's definitely very useful um to put your app out that way um but it's a bit more expensive so thankful thank you to clubhouse for creating different opportunities for people to share especially during these covid times where the whole world is being affected by this uh pandemic or whatnot um so everyone that made up made it and is listening i appreciate you I'm thankful you made it past 2020, and here we are in 2020 making it happen and expanding and doing as much positivity as we can and really creating, you know, the world and the life that we seek and we want to create. I remember my time at Actors Theater Workshop and the um, Builders of a New World uh, program where I got to do a lot of uh, video uh, or organizing, basically, but in that organization, I got to see a program where they allowed children um, that were homeless youth in New York City to be part of a program at Actors Theater Workshop with Thurman E. Scott and um, really visualize and create a world that they want to be in in the future. And it was really cool to see this guy basically doing using quantum uh, mechanics um, quantum mechanics to uh, really uh, affect these uh, these kids' lives because, you know, um, that's definitely something that's hard to go through. And these children, um, you know, in New York City of all places and the hood and or whatnot uh, had to experience that. So it was cool to experience that and uh, see that um, at Actors Theater Workshop as well as the different um, techniques and courses that um, Thermini Scott uh, would would teach and um, express to students and a lot a lot of great footage there. So to go, definitely go check that out if you're in New York. Um, I'm, I'm I'm sure you know due to COVID they're not doing some programs, but it was cool to learn acting from that guy and, and um, you know basically um, expand my horizons and become more human and and all all that jazz. Um, which brings us to today and um, continuing to expand on our horizons and uh, it, do whatever we can as far as business to, to really to really get there. But um, I'm noticing a lot of uh, managers, um, agents, and different people on Clubhouse talk about how people really don't even know how to network uh, properly. And um, they're basically uh, spamming and overdoing it a lot of the times and a lot of these women and men are uh not enjoying the uh the Im- impersonality um that people are professing as they network i mean there's a lot of great ways to network social media enables you to be part of someone's life without actually being there um but that doesn't mean that you know just because you have someone's social media or phone number or, you know, different profiles that you can start spamming and, um, you know, basically calling or, bob- like, basically it starts to become bothersome. Um, so to avoid things like that, you know, I definitely suggest connecting on social media, but trying to become friends with people and getting to know people um, because you may actually not even like that person, even though you may want to work with them or vice versa. Um, or, you know, it may become such a great relationship that you, you do create a working relationship um, with that person you may want to work with. And these people could be writers, producers, directors, and from, from major productions or whatever. It's just going about it in the right way. Um, so that's just one of my tips I want to give out to, I guess, actors and different people in general that want to um, connect and uh, network and build Clubhouse 
if you have an iPhone, I would definitely suggest that. But which brings me to my point today, because we have an amazing guest. Um, <laughs> it's funny, his last name is Guest. Hillier Guest is an amazing guest on the podcast today. He's a writer, producer, and director, and also a podcaster. He was born in Detroit. He was born in Detroit, raised in a hood near San Francisco, and he was the youngest of five in a family, pegged the Cosby show in the ghetto. So I'm sure, you know, it was real fun um, to, to be part of that family or whatnot. And, you know, to, to, to be able to have so many characters uh, as a child, um, is, it can make it a bit easier to, um, you know, create, recreate characters today. Um, Hilliard has a fun 80s-style mod Afro pump, punk style. He was recently staffed on the Russo Brothers action sci-fi de- uh, series, Deadly Class, yet he keeps the light on as a assignment ghostwriter and is busy developing. You can... Uh, oh, wow. Um, this this guy does a lot of amazing work. Um, you definitely got to go check him out because he has a iTunes book um, that's popular. You can go check out right now um, or after the show. Not right now. <laughs> no, you can do it. You can multitask, I hope. But the top 100 indie writers in the world, um, definitely check that out. And he also started his own company, Hill Dog Productions, which is helping uh, create these different uh, titles or whatnot. Um, some of uh, his uh, produced projects are Ticker, a dark anthology series, uh, Mermaid, an award-winning drama, and Deadly Class, which is the sci-fi series uh, I mentioned. Um, also check out Blackout, a horror film, uh, Troublesome, a critically acclaimed uh, drama, and The Last Girl, an award-winning martial arts film. Um, and he also uh, interviews A-list writers at the WGAW Theater um, and uh, Third and Fairfax Podcast and his very own um, Hilliard's Guest uh, Screenwriters Rant Room. Um, so definitely uh, this guy does amazing work, which is why it's an honor to, to have him on the show today. Um, and that's why I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, Hilliard, are you there? I'm here. What's happening, man? Thank you for having me, brother. Oh, it's great to have you, sir. Thank thank you so much. Yes, we hear you. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Um, You've done so much work with producing TV pilots, films, um, shorts, web series, you know, different music and historical documentaries. Um, Like, well, what's your favorite type of work? To, to actually uh, delve into and, and work on? What's your type of project? Um, I'm kind of an old soul. It's a, it's an interesting thing. You know, you were talking about, you know, my mod, punk rock, rude boy roots. You know, I'm, I'm somebody like the, the, the 60s is my favorite music. You know, like my favorite music is, you know, ska and reggae music, of course, from the 60s. <clears throat> and so... And, you know, the style, the way they dressed, you know, all that stuff is still, like, my favorite thing. So, like, as of in the last five years, I probably have written more historical and bio projects than most of the people I know. <laughs> you know, I'm in the middle of an Emmett Till project. I'm in the middle of, you know, I've written the Black Wall Street script. I've written um, I've, I've written a, 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 a pilot on Bass Reeves, the first black U- U.S. marshal. You know, um, right now, um, just got brought in to develop a new series um, about um, called the Go Just Trio um, that takes place in 1938 with uh, the first black football players at UCLA. You know, so it's I'm an old soul, so that goes without saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's not only about you know the projects. Uh, for the future or futuristic projects, but the bringing in the past to create the foundation for the future uh, seems like, because when you mentioned things like Black Wall Street, which, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people still don't know about till, 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 till today, you know, it becomes a kind of an important project. Um, for people that may Indeed. not know about Black Wall 
Street. Um, can you just uh, share with people uh, about what Black Wall Street was to you? Sure. Um, in the early 1900s in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was an area called Greenwood that stretched about 36 blocks <clears throat> where um, the, the black uh, community actually owned businesses like we've never seen before. You know, like they, they were, in most cases, more richer than the white people in most cases. <clears throat> and what happened was, as we all know, when specifically back then, something has happened now, as we all know, like you go into the black community now, and you you see a few you know you know hair salons and you know barbecue shops or whatever juke joints or whatever but you don't really see the lushness of business you know the way it used to be like something happened like we got fragmented somewhere but back then there would be you know doctor's office and dentists and you know shoe shine parlors and movie theaters I mean anything you could think of that was current at the time we had. We had a red light district. They had churches everywhere, you know, everything, and everybody was thriving, you know. So it was that type of place where in 1921 there was somebody was accused of raping somebody on the elevator. The Klan, you know, went out and searched for that person. The sheriff brought him into the, um, into the, to the jail to protect him and lock him in there. In 2000, Klansmen showed up to, you know, force him out and sent five former um, soldiers, black soldiers showed up uh, with their guns and weapons ready to protect them. You know, somebody fired and it turned into this chaos that drew themselves all the way back into Greenwood and the white guys were losing so they just started burning shit down. Excuse me, I, heard, I hate to curse on your show, forgive me. Um, no, so, you know, they, they, they burned it down and when that wasn't enough one of the guys had a plane and they went up on the plane and just started dropping those um, little, uh, uh, like, Mazeltov type of bombs down on the whole city and destroyed the entire thing in 17 hours. And Which is insanity. Yeah. Right, right. This really happened. Um, some of the survivors yeah. are still uh, trying to sue for, repar- not reparations, but their, all that property damage. Even li- many lives were also lost. These clansmen were also um killing um women, children and, and men. Um Absolutely. So this right, right. Um and this is a yeah, time and, when and, and they made it sorry to interrupt you, they made it so that um their their new rule was that you can't even build back in Greenwood unless it's fireproof. What is that? There's no such thing. That's so they not. made it so they couldn't rebuild. You know, even that's, how, that's how clever they were. That's some bull crap. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, so right. that's Tulsa. Um, yeah, that's definitely an interesting story. I appreciate you um, for working to bring more light to that. Because um, these black yeah. um, families and businesses, they had bus lines. Um, you know, they were doing everything. There were multiple taxi companies. Um, they basically mm-hmm. had everything they needed. Um, and the black and the thing about Black Wall Street, um, that wasn't the only one. Um, there were different ones around the United States, um, but that was definitely the main one. Um, but to have you know people dropping bombs on an American city uh, is definitely uh, you know very uh, crazy. But shows you um, you know a little bit of the mindset of why. Um, black people might be a little bit um, turned back from expanding. Um, Even people that owned farms in that time, um, you know, they basically lost the, there were a lot of, uh, a huge percentage of black families that owned uh, farms, but they lost all of that um, to this day. Um, So that's uh, very remember that they, during that massacre, because he, white people call it a riot. You know, black people call it a massacre. You know what I mean? Because that's really what it was. And the people were being massacred. You know what I mean? That they were just demolishing homes and raping women and doing. I mean, it was it was crazy. You know what I mean? And we only had seventy five people fighting back against two thousand people who were all former soldiers. You know what I mean? So believe me. And they had bigger machines and bigger guns, and you know, and there were more of them. So you're probably going to lose. 
you know. So they pushed all the black people out of the city, you know. So there was nothing to come back to, really. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So they were living on the outskirts, outskirts of town in tent cities and stuff, you know. After all that, so that's why most of them left. They had nowhere else to go who survived, you know. So it was it was a crazy time. So the few who came back came back to nothing. You wow. Know? And they might have wow. been rich at one point. You know, right, like, and they couldn't even claim insurance. The, the yeah, they had to start all over again. They lost everything. You know. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Sorry, I get a little passionate about that when I talk about that story. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me exactly. too. But yeah, that's a that's a big mm-hmm. one. Um, is that right? Um, um, so be, besides um, besides that uh, project, mm-hmm. um. What are some um, other projects that you find interesting um, to work on? Well, my producing partner, Pamela Asmi Andrew, and I are um, working on another series. We all, because I told you we, I write a lot of things historic as well as things contemporary. <clears throat> I just am drawn to things that are historic, you know. Like, I would have been amazing, you know, on um, Watchmen and all those shows like that. I would have killed those type of shows, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And anything that Misha Green does, you know, love her, you know. Um, and so right now, um, we wrote this story about Kathy, Kathy Williams, <clears throat> who was the first black um, uh, woman to, uh, in order to escape slavery, she disguised herself as a man and fought with the Buffalo Soldiers. And we wrote a series wow. around her that was gonna, it was gonna be a limited series. And the more we dive, this is something that writers do. We go down these wormholes, you know, or these rabbit holes, and we discover all this research. And you were saying earlier there were other places that were like Black Wall Street too. And that's what we discovered. Not only were there places like that, there were more wealthy black people that we never heard of, right, wow. that, that opened businesses or built the first hotel or built this or built that or designed the first, you know, designer dresses for this person that went to Europe and made it out of silk, like all these different things we discovered. So we created this whole show that starts with Kathy Williams because she ends up becoming a famous dressmaker and people don't know that, you know? Right. And so in our story, we don't know how rich she was, but we know she lived in a big house, which means she probably was rich. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So we just so we mm-hmm. realized, wait a minute, if she was, then who else was? So we mm-hmm. started going down these holes and finding all these other people, <clears throat> and we learned that there was a device, um, which was the train that went from the East Coast to the West Coast. And so that train picks up and stops, and every time we pick up and stop, we're with a new person, and we go through their story. And whether they're through flashbacks, we come back in time, we go back and forth in time, you know what I mean? And it shows us all these different stories of how they became that. You know, the guy who started um, Black Wall Street is the same guy who started Harlem. People don't know that. He left before the bombing started. Wait, you said Harlem? You know, he was there. Yeah, the guy who started Harlem left. Wait, he wasn't was the guy who started Harlem in, like Haitian? Was he what? Haitian or something? I don't know why I'm not hearing you saying what. Oh, because uh, I, I thought the guy who started Harlem was like a Haitian guy or something. I heard. Now there was a couple yeah. different people, but this particular guy is the one who made it. Who made it what it is? He's the same guy who Wall Street what it is. He left there, and took his what he had left before all the bombing started. Went to Harlem, and started started over. And him and some other people, wow. who might have been the, the other guy you're talking about, rebuilt it. And, and, and so he took what they were doing in, in Tulsa and brought it over there to Harlem, banded it. And they started working their way up to 130th Street, and they just kept going, you know. <clears throat> and then we learned of some women who did the same thing, and et cetera, et cetera. So our, our, another, our next show is about that, all these, uh, all these black, black people with fortunes. Wow, wow. Um, uh, uh, so you're creating a lot of, um, I guess, like black historical in, uh, uh, pieces. Um, is it difficult to get that work on uh, these different platforms or whatnot? Because there's so much different types of new media. 
Um, what tips would you have for, you know, writers or producers trying to get their work onto bigger platforms? So I'm sure it's not always easy. Well, it's, it's funny. I was just on Clubhouse um, a few before I got on here. <clears throat> I was uh, I was moderating a room about the craft, and somebody asked me the same similar story because she likes to write historic projects. And I said, you have to be a little bit more creative with historic projects. Nobody wants to touch them, you know, because they're expensive, you know. But yet every uh, year you see three or four three or four shows come out, and they're all the ones that win all the you know, the Oscars or the Emmys and the Golden Globes. You, you think they want more of them. You know what I mean? It's funny to me that they're like, oh, we don't want to touch it, you know, which is actually partly why my Black Wall Street script is, I wrote the thing like five years ago, you know, and what it has been for me is a sample. You know, it's been close at some really big companies in the last couple of years, but everybody's hesitation is it's all about climate, especially when what happened to George Floyd Everybody's like, ooh, we don't know if we want to see black people being killed, you know, and maimed and, you know, et cetera, and hung and all these other things. So the climate sometimes forces you in different directions. You know what I mean? And so like right. like 12 Years a Slave would be really hard to do right now. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. it was on the edge of where it was hard to do before. You know, <clears throat> now, now it would be even more harder because a lot of even the black producers are like, oh, I don't want to be. This is one thing people don't understand, and forgive me for rambling. People don't understand that if you as a producer decide to take on a project, that means you decided to spend a, at least a year to two years of your life on the project. So right when, when emerging writers get upset that somebody passed on their project, they don't always pass because it's not good. They pass because they have to decide do they want to stay in that, in that space for that long. You know what I mean? Do I want to really deal with Tulsa, Oklahoma for two years of my life? Do I want to watch all these, the dailies? Do I want to watch, you know, the, 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 the cuts? Do I want to go through posts and hear this, the, the sad songs? Do I want to deal with all that for two years? you got to find somebody willing to do that, you know, which is why a lot of times they end up being somebody white. It's unfortunate. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's a lot more closer to us than it is to them. I'm not saying they don't feel, you know what I mean? But they don't, they don't fully understand the way we do, even though we weren't even born then, but we understand. You know what I mean? Right. So that, yeah. that might make a little bit of sense to you, hopefully. Oh, no, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, um, you uh, know, because everyone's always trying to get all their material in different ways. Um, but the creativity and, um, you know, that makes a lot of sense um, or whatnot. Uh, you've also worked on... Um, some different types of like murder, death, kill, um, and horror, mm-hmm. um, type movies. Um, right. do you find that work a bit more easier to get to the masses? Because, you know, we live in a society that kind of likes that. Well, I think we all are attracted to the things we don't know, which is why horror, for example, works, you know, <clears throat> in most genres. Like I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, paranormal horror but as you know there's like 12 different genres of horror which is probably even more than that I'm just spitballing a number you know there's so many of them <clears throat> you know I right. personally like monsters in the house which means I like zombies werewolves vampires you know what I mean type of stuff you know I like I like that type of stuff where I like where people are trapped in a building in a house in a tavern somewhere in the woods somewhere in a you know, whatever, in a contained place, and they have to trap themselves inside of somewhere because something is outside trying to get in, whether it's a zombie or werewolf or vampire or, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I'm attracted to those stories because what happens is the zombie, the werewolf, or the, the vampire or whatever becomes a story. The A story becomes about the people inside. Like if you ever look at the original Night of the Living Dead, it's about those people trapped in that farmhouse. The zombies come up every blue moon, if you think about it, right? And it's about who's the weakest person who's going to become strong. Who's the strongest person who's going to become weak? You know, it's about the characters. That's why we love that movie so much. You forget about the zombies because they're, they're actually pretty shitty zombies, actually. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but the characters are so on point, and they have an archetype for each one. The scary girl, the the strong black man, the 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 older guy with the shotgun. You know, you have all your archetypes in there. You know what I mean? The the pregnant girl, the girl who's about to do this, the little girl downstairs. They have all the archetypes in there. You know what I mean? Who's gonna survive? You know, those are the stories that I'm attracted to, and that, and everybody relates to that. That's why right, it right. still works. You know, that was done in what 1967 or something. I mean, and here it is still one of the best, best movies ever. You know, because it has legs that we all relate to. So I wouldn't say they're easier. They're just more they're more relatable in that sense. We all relate to it. You know what I mean? Right. Whether we're trapped, I mean, whether someone's literally trapped or just mentally trapped in a situation, I guess they can um, relate to that in a sense, um, w- which makes sense. Uh, that That's uh, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, we, you know, and it travels. It travels across other places that don't even speak our language. They understand how they understand fear. The thing mm-hmm. that the thing that's hard to travel is comedy, because our comedy right. isn't like everybody else's comedy. You know what I mean? And, it's, and black comedy isn't like some white comedy. You know what I mean? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's all about where you are and where you're from. But horror in itself, you know, we all have different. Um, like if you go to 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 Nigeria or if you go to Colombia, they all have their own folklore of what horror is. You know what I mean? And so that, and mm-hmm. I bet you if somebody sat around a campfire and told you about their Nigerian, you know, zombie or ghost or whatever, you'd be freaked the fuck out. Excuse my phrase. Sorry, you cussing. Um, you know how I talk on my show. <laughs> I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? And so, but we never heard that story. That's what makes it unique. But they relate to it over there because they have their own story. Right. You know, that, that might have some similarities that we don't even know about. You know, I hope that makes some sense. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, um, not to get too religious, but like um, religion and stuff. Uh, a lot of the same stories, um, whether it be about Jesus or his birth and different stuff, you can find in different parts of the world where at one point they weren't connected the, the way we are today. And you can find some of these stories on like walls of uh, pyramids and different things um, that are eerily sim- uh, similar um, to stories that you can find in like a Mexico versus a Africa um, or whatnot. Um, so it's definitely interesting how humans, even though we may not always be connected per se, um, still go through similar things in different parts of the, you right. know, the globe. Um, and to be able For to sure. connect that, and relate that. Um, I guess that's where um, people make their careers uh, out of, um, and are able to create, um, such as you. Um, right. Is, that's why pretty- there's so many. That's why there's so many horror. I would just use horror as an example. <clears throat> there's so many horror filmmakers who make a movie for a million, two, five million dollars, and they end up making, you know, thirty million dollars worldwide, you know, in, in sales and whatnot. And, and recoup that money, you know, three or four times over, and they made it for cheap because everybody relates to it. So it doesn't cost a ton of money to do it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so that's why you have certain companies who even specialize in doing movies like that, you know? I mean, that's why I was going back to doing these historical projects. I mean, they cost you, you know, hundreds of million dollars sometimes to do them if you do them right, especially if you're trying to do like a series you know, on Black Wall Street or something, like mine is a film, you know, but if you try to do a series, I mean, they get, they get expensive. Everybody has to be dressed. Everybody's hair has to be done. Their clothes have to be the same way. You know what I mean? They're, they're um, you know, the, 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 the sets all have to look like that time. You know, you can't, yeah, you can't pan across a room and there's, and, and there's a light that's off. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? You can't. It has to look exactly alike for those there's a reason why people don't want to get in bed with that, you know, <clears throat> because your production just freaking quadrupled, you know, as soon as you decide to say yes, you know, it's not because it's not good. That's what I'm always telling writers. It's not that it's not good. You know, sometimes people just don't, they can't afford it. Right. Well, so that, that makes, that makes sense. I remember, um, 
one of my actually first job as a kid. Uh, my mom mm-hmm. would take care of this uh, Jewish patient in uh, South Amboy, New Jersey, um, and mm-hmm. uh, the, her her brother had a house a, a store attached to the house, which dates back to. Um, I mean, these were Jewish people that that left, um, you know, that dealt with the Holocaust and stuff like that. So this store closed in it from like, you know, the 30s and 40s and and 50s that he never even Mm -hmm. sold. Um, So one day this guy, he said he was working on a movie, comes in and and buys every out everything in the store. I mean, there were there was a lot of stuff still there, shoes, um, those hats, old hats. Um, and he took everything in. Um, so now that I think about it, that probably was a steal for him. Um, oh, God, uh, that was. I bet. <laughs> but to be able to, to, to have, you know, the the details, um, I guess that's what creates the greater productions or whatnot, as you're saying, um, or whatnot. It's, so it's, that's, it's, it's, sorry to keep interrupting. I apologize. It's all nuanced. You know, there's nuance in, in, in storytelling, and there's nuance in what you see on the screen sometimes, <clears throat> right? For example, um, I talk about this a lot, you know, because, you know, at the Writers Guild and the Black Community, you know, a lot of writers and, and outside of our community, too, are feeling like, you know, <clears throat> a lot of write, white writers shouldn't be telling our stories. And I personally disagree with that if they have a connection to it. So, for example, mm. the Bass Reeves project I'm doing about the first U- black U.S. marshal is um, I was brought in to the project from a, uh, a producer who's on the lot with me. And um, his connection to the story is he's connected to the family who wrote the book about him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and when he tells you story, he's almost in tears. Like there's nobody who knows this better than him. You know, and this is a white guy. You know, white guy over 50 who's, you know, a straight, cis, white guy. You know what I mean? But he was smart enough to bring me in to help if he knew that it was necessary, not only as because he needed a black person to do it, but he knew I was a badass writer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he knew that I would be the perfect person who would go down this, this, this ride with them for the last year we've been working on this project, you know, developing this into a series. <clears throat> you know, we're finally about to go out with it in the next couple of weeks. And so... It's it's really about um, to me. It's not about who's white or who's black. It's about who connects. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't have a lot of movies that are out that that are from the past that that would have never made it to the screen. You know what I mean? <clears throat> if if that was the case, if we would only be somebody black to write a project that has black people in, I think that's not the best thing in the world. Where they go wrong, this is back to nuance, and this is something I talk about on my show a lot. That's where they go wrong, is we see something missing. Like, for example, here's a perfect example. It's a TV show, and somebody white wrote and directed it, and it's got a black female lead, and she gets up in the morning. You know, her hair is perfect already when we see her laying there. She ain't got no wrap on her hair, nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like, like that. Right. Stuff like that. Like, there's no nuance there. You know what I mean? That's what happens sometimes is you get caught up and there's two things, and I'll talk about this. Forgive me for talking so much. Is there's two things. One is somebody missed that, right? Two is depending on how big of a star you are, sometimes the bigger stars don't want to be seen like that, right? They want to always look good. So they would rather risk not waking up in the morning with their hair in a wrap than to look good for their, their fans. You know what I mean? Whereas some people, you know, other actors or actresses, for example, might say, fuck that, the character would do this. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's the actor. You know what I mean? But you have to be able to discern which one is which. You know? Oh, right, right, right. Um, (laughs) That that makes a lot of sense because then the actor would have to be able to to do the research and connect. um, And then the writers would have to also have that connection. Well, the writers should have already done their research, director and all that other people. And the actor, you know, by the time they get to the set, should have already done that too. But I'm talking to here. Here's a perfect example. I tell my husband this all the time. This is kind of funny. So I always say, so we'll watch a season of a show, right? And let's just say one of the characters look a little 
they're not always put together, right? Not perfectly. And I always say, watch this. Season two, watch their hair change. Every time. Their hair changes. Their makeup looks a little bit better. Because what happened? They went, all, they went from making zero money the year before to now making forty, fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars a week. You know. Oh. Now they can get their right. shit done. You know. What I mean? And then they they don't want to be walking down the street and people recognize them. They don't look good. So they they keep themselves up a little bit better. So season two, you know, their hair looks better. The clothes look more expensive. Like things shift, or the budget goes up more. Season two a lot too. So there's that. You know what I mean? Um, but but that's also part of the thing is, you know, your character um, also becomes a little bit of who you are now sometimes. You know what I mean? Now, that's sometimes, by the way. So. Right, right. Um, very interesting. Um, this is definitely uh, why we have you uh, on the show to, you know, continue to spit all that knowledge and wisdom because, um, you sure. know, you have a lot of interesting uh, experiences um, spreading from writing to producing to directing to even podcasting. Um, mm-hmm. um, well, your as far as your podcast, um, did you want to um, promote that real quick and um, sure. let people know where they can find it? Sure. My podcast is called The Screenwriter's Rant Room. Um, I call it that because you see I go off on rants a lot, <laughs> myself and my co-host, <clears throat> and I knew that was the right word for the show. You know, that's what we do. We go off on rants. So I was like, hey, this is the Screenwriter's Rant Room. So our show is geared for, you know, writers, producers, filmmakers, you know, directors, whatever, actors. Um, We do talk mainly, at least right now, um, uh, we have a huge audience, but our audience is mainly, you know, people of color, you know, our black and brown, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, out there. We have lots of white people listen to our show, too, who are woke and who are, you know, up with the game. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. but our show is about that. It's mainly, as you notice, sometimes we go in and we're just talking for about, you know, five or 10 minutes before we even get to the show, because I like to treat <laughs> it like as if it's the writer's room. So if you ever in a writer's room, a development room, that first, you know, half hour, hour, we're just in the room talking about what the, whatever's going on. You know what I mean? And it loosens everybody up. So by the time I say, all right, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. We're all there. You know what I mean? I, so sometimes right. I'm waiting for that moment, and it might take 15 minutes, you know what I mean, which is why my shows are a little long, you know what I mean, because I, I would mm-hmm. rather us be loosey-goosey and having a good time than to just go, boom, let's just start the show, the, the, the guest is here, et cetera, et cetera. I want people to feel like they're sitting there as a fly on the wall in our writer's room, you know what I mean? Mm. And, that's, and so right. far that's worked for me, you know, very raw. There's nothing planned. I have no questions written down. Nothing. That's me asking questions from curiosity. That's you know, awesome. My, uh, the I, one I, you I, heard with me I, and Kemp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you and I, I feel like we're just having a discussion. You know what I mean? I don't feel like right. we have anything written down. I feel like we're just talking. You know what I mean? Those yep. are the best conversations. To me. You know what I mean? You're right. You were about to say something about Kim or something? Oh, I was about to say the thing about Kemp Powers. Like like that interview that you that you listened to, for example, you know, I, I've known Kent for years. You know, I know who he is. He's a friend of mine, you know, and so I already know him. But I still learn to ask questions as if I don't know him. You know what I mean? You have to, and you mm-hmm. know this from interviewing people for years, too. You have to put your, your – you do your research on your, you know, your subject, and then you come into the room like I don't know anything about them. But the reason you did the research is so if there is a, 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 a low moment, you can pick it up somewhere else. You can change the subject. You can pivot. That's what that right. research is for. You know, not oh. to be like, so when you were 16, it says here that you were. No, that's boring. But it's nice to know that in the back of your head, that when they were 16, this thing happened to them. So if it goes low, you can go, you know what? I was thinking about something. I was reading some shit about you when you were 16. Didn't you do? Now you're changing the topic in a cool, fun way. You know what I mean? Def- As opposed to mm-hmm. being very, you know, uh, uh, sterile, if you will. You know? That's, that's, I wouldn't have fun being on a show like that. I'm a lot more loosey-goosey than that. You know? It's part of my humor. And I, I see you. I sense from you, you have a little bit of that, too. You know, 
definitely. Um, I appreciate yeah. that perspective, which is something new I'm trying is um, actually reading out people's bios in the beginning so we could get that out the way and um, kind of start where they want to start. And um, and then also I did send, I do send out questions, which obviously you can see I haven't really even asked one of those questions. But like I, you I say, <laughs> right, right. I don't even remember. But, but like you <laughs> yeah. But just like as you said, I don't even um, read them to be honest with you because I like to be cold. I like to be fresh. So, likewise, that's awesome. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> but but um, I know you're a busy guy. You know, I, I could be asking you questions okay, all day. I got day. about another um, ten minutes. So it's, it's up to you. Okay, yeah, I can go. Or we can oh, great, great. Stop it here. So. Let's keep. Oh no, let's keep going. Um, uh, some because um, I, I mentioned uh, some of your produced projects. Um, as far as ticker, mermaid, Etsy class, providers, architects of crime, um, and then also full uh, circle, story of new dimensions. Um, right. As far as, like, for, like, actors, because I know a lot of actors are always asking, what what, what can they do um, to get on a project such as yours, you know, to really separate themselves from others? And I've, you know, I've heard people say, you know, make sure that, you know, all your materials are, are you know, are tight and, um, you know, up-to-date and different things. Um, but as a writer-producer, you know, I, I'm not sure if you get into the, uh, casting. Um, what do you look for in talent? Uh, I've, um, I've cast yeah. over – I've been in the over 300 casting sessions. So, yeah, I'm very right. familiar with casting. But go ahead, finish your question. I apologize. <laughs> Great, perfect. So so you would you, you know what to look for in, in talent. Um, so what do you look for in talent? Um, I guess you first you want to make sure they can actually act. Um, but what else do you you look for? Well, I mean, I'm I'm also a former actor myself. You know, I was a triple threat. You know, I dance, sing, right. act. You know, I've 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 been on tour with singers. I've been in videos with Hammer. I've you know done all kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, you know, I've guest starred on TV shows and co-starred and you know, supporting roles and movies. I've done a lot of things. Um, and, and, and I'm a trained theater actor. You know, I come from, you know, ACT and the black rep and, you know, Oakland ensemble. I've done all that stuff. So, um, I am kind of a little bit of a snob when it comes to casting, um, in the sense that I, I do tend to be one of those producers that when I'm sitting there and we're going through, you know, breakdowns or whatever with the casting director, <clears throat> I will stop when I see a photo that grabs me. And when I turn it over, if all I see are scene study classes, that doesn't move me. But if I see that you went to some cool film school or did some off-Broadway show that I thought was awesome, I'm going to lean in a little bit more. That's me, you know. And mainly it's just because I know what it took to get there, you know. Just taking a couple wow. of scene study classes to me is like a six-week course. That's nothing. You know, we do a play for six weeks, for God's sake. You know I mean? <clears throat> to me, that has a lot more merit to it than to me than that. And what I found is I'm one of those people when I'm in a casting session, I test people a little bit. So, for example, I might say to you, um, say you do the scene. I go, okay, cool. Um, do me a favor. You know how when you pick up the phone and, and your wife calls you, um, I want you to walk over to the to the corner and pretend like you're looking out the window because your son's arriving. Like, I want to see, can you make that little small move, right? What happens is, and I'll say, like, go upstage, you know, there's going to be a window there, look out the window, yada, 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 and then come back, you know, on that last line. I want to see you land it right there. And if they can't do that, I'm like, oh, I see what the problem is, right? The problem is usually they've never been tested like that. Theater tests you that way. You know from doing theater, upstage, downstage, stage left, stage right. You know, you know those things in your head. They're like glued in your fucking brain. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I keep cussing on your show. <laughs> um, okay. But they're glued in there. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And so, and so I can't tell you how many times I've cast, had casting sessions, and I would give an actor or an actress, you know, a movement like this, and they would be all off. And I would look at somebody's resume and it would say scene study from this person, scene study from that person. I'm like, see, they're just, they're going to class once or twice a week. To me, that's not enough. Like they're not really honing this skill, you know, 
when we're doing professional theater, we're in the rehearsal hall for six, seven hours a day. How can you not be good? You know what I mean? And so that's why yeah. I come become a little bit of a snob about it. And I don't mean to say that openly because there's plenty of great um, actors who have taken these little scene study classes. Don't get me wrong. But I at least like to test them and see where they are. You know what I mean? I don't have time on the set, especially in the indie world, which is where I come from, <clears throat> to be, you know, in rehearsal. You know, most of those, those things you do in the indie world, you do a couple of rehearsals, you know, on the set, and then you shoot. You know what I mean? So you need somebody who you see who can, who can take that type of um, um, direction, you know? So, so for me, that's one thing I would tell actors, and I realize we're living in a Rona time, but there's still are lots of online classes that they could be taking, you know, to be practical. You know, you need to be practicing. You can practice with your friends. You can practice with your parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so many things you could do as an actor. The other thing I would say is <clears throat> the reason why I started my own company in 2009 is I decided it was time to be my own boss. And I feel like it's 2021. We all have our cell phones. And if you have a new cell phone, the darn thing shoots like it does a real movie right now. You know, there's <laughs> a couple little um, microphones and a couple little things you could buy to make it be a little bit more tighter if you wanted. But I say you write a little scene, something that you want Hollywood and all your friends to see you in that particular light. Like you've never been a businessman. You've never been a father you never been you want to show another side of you shoot a little three or five minute piece you know and you don't have to be the guy or girl behind the camera you know you can live in the middle of idaho and somebody knows how to use a camera you know what i mean so don't use that excuse that i don't know anybody that's the thing that drives me crazy you know there's too many of us out of here who know how to do things and if you don't you could drive to the nearest city and be like, hey, guys, I'm trying to put together this thing. You know what I mean? I don't have a lot of money, but we all are just trying to make something. I'm going to buy everybody lunch, whatever the thing is. You know, everybody's trying to make things too. So I say be your own boss. Don't wait for Hollywood. Don't wait for Hillier to hire you. You hire yourself. Right. That's what I did. Right. Now Hollywood's calling me. But I had to, I had to become that. So that's a what creator. I would say. And I don't right. know every, if everybody else would agree, but – not in 2021 when you can. 2009, I was doing this. So you could do this way easier now with the internet. You go online and go, how do I direct? And there's like 60, you know, how-tos will show up. You know what I mean? So there's just no excuses anymore, in my opinion. No, definitely That's not. I mean, there's... No, it makes a lot of uh, sense because there's people even on Clubhouse that sh- is showcasing how, you know, they're teaching and sharing. And then we've got YouTube University. Um, it's really, you know, not everyone may not have all the resources or whatnot, but, if you know, you put we live in America. I'm sure we can figure it out if there's kids in Africa um, creating damn near I mean, not not, you know, they're recreating Hollywood scenes or whatnot. I'm sure you've seen those African kids. Oh, yeah. Um, they look great. Yeah, they do, actually. Uh, if they can you know, do it, so, we could do it. I mean, come on. You got to want it. That's the key. You know what I mean? Everybody's sitting around waiting for an audition. You know, these are actors, by the way. You know what I mean? And the people that I respect are the ones, like yourself, who aren't sitting around waiting. You've got a podcast. You gotta, you're got you producing the short. You're producing whatever it is you're doing. You're trying to show Hollywood, I am somebody worth something. You know what I mean? Everybody wants what Issa Rae has, but Issa went and made her project. She had no money to make her first project. Zero. All her friends came in and helped her. If she can get friends to help her, you can get friends to help you. Those actors weren't getting any money at first. She had nothing. Right. She had enough money to probably pay the sound guy and the camera guy. You know what I mean? And get a little bit of food. That was it. You know what I mean? But if it's good, people will show up. Right. So don't use that excuse. I don't have any money. How am I going to do it? Um, you got a camera. Practice with that thing. Go get your kids and start shooting them, and learn how to use that camera. Look at look at different movies and TV shows, and check out different angles, and you know, and see what they're doing. And you know, when something important happens, they push in. Oh, that's why they do it. They want they want you to learn that there's something coming up here. This is important. 
this line that they're about to say is, 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 is detrimental to the whole movie. That's why they pushed it. They didn't just do it because it was a cool shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? You start to see the patterns mm-hmm. the more you research the stuff. You know? So anyway, that's, I told you, I can go off on this stuff all day. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I hope uh, the, the actors that catch this listen and, uh, and take heed. Because um, every time I, I'm in Clubhouse, you know, people are typically asking uh, the same questions over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one thing I've learned over the years is just to create and do something like damn near almost anything. You, you don't want to do like mm-hmm. anything because, you know, we, we got people on OnlyFans and that, that if that works for that person, then, you know, to each his own. Um, but, right, um, you know, just doing something and uh, creating would, is always something I've found that uh, has been special and, that, and has uh, enabled me to do a lot of uh, amazing things in life. And uh, to think about mm-hmm. um, how you kind of uh, think about what it takes to get, get to a certain mm-hmm. point and the hard work, um, you know, I'm sure you're not the only one. And uh, that, that that does make a lot of sense when a person can connect that. Um, cause you know, we can pay, if, especially if one has money, you can pay for classes all day for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what are you, what is a person actually going to do with that? And, um, living in this first world Check country, Let me say this to you. Mm-hmm. I spent, when I, when I first started writing, I remember I calculated cause I'm pretty good at keeping my books together. Almost, it was like 70, almost $8,000 in classes and books. And, and research and things that I did in the first two years of me being a writer. That's how wow. bad I wanted it. Damn. I would take classes with everybody. They would have a screenwriter's expo. I'd go to the expo, you know, and just learn. You know what I mean? And they all aren't going to work for you. You know what I mean? I would take things on Pixar. I don't necessarily write animation, but I took mm-hmm. it just to learn how the Pixar style worked. And yep. guess what? It all helped. You know what I mean? Because you take pieces of each and every one that's different. You know, I went and learned how to do Sigfield. I went and learned how to do McKee. I took John Truby. I took Pilar Sandra, Jane Grisanti, everybody to see what they were teaching. If I can get one thing out of it, it was worth it to me. So when people read my scripts, every one of them is different because I'm so unique in how, how well read I am. You know what I mean? And so many different styles I can just conjure up because I've learned so many different ones. You know what I mean? So become that person who's really prolific about doing stuff. You know, if you're writing one thing a year, I mean, I don't know how serious you are. I'm being real with you, but that's me because I probably have five or six things a year. You know what I mean? But that's your competition. And guess what? My competition writes more than that. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Issa, Issa just had using her as an example. She got a TV show and she still writes two or three things a year. So if she could do that with a with a hit TV show, and still write that much. You can do it too. Believe me, she's busy as hell. I'm using her as an example. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. lots of examples like that. You know, once you have a busy work ethic that's prolific like that, you will be like that when God blesses you to finally make it. Right. You know what I mean? You'll be ready for it. Because <clears throat> that's the problem. People write one script and go, well, I want to sell the script and get my own show. I'm like, well, what else do you have? You know? And you've heard that a lot because guess, here's what happens. Let, let me just go off on a little rant. This is important. Okay, do you mind? No, not at all, sir. Okay, cool. This, this is important. This is important. So here's how it works. Say, say you wrote a script. Say you met a, met a manager... Uh, no, say you met a producer or let's just even say your agent sent your script over to a producer, right? Here's what happens. Mm-hmm. They read it. They call the agent and go, hey, we'd love to meet with Hilliard. You know, we, like, we really enjoyed his work. We'd like to meet him. Here's what they're doing. What most emerging writers think is, oh, he read my script. He wants to produce my script. Here's what happens. What they want to do is meet the person who wrote it and see what else you have that they can write. So, for example, <clears throat> you go to the meeting, you meet with said producer. What I always do, this is what separates me. 
right? So you'll have a meeting, and they'll usually tell you, hey, here's who I am. Here's the type of things we do here at this company. And then I go, yeah, that's all great, right? And then I go, so what, what's the thing you really want to do? And they go, what do you mean? I go, what's your passion project? We all have one that we can't, we don't have time to do. And they'll go, oh, there's this Emmett Till project, right? And I go, really? And they'll go, yeah, we, we want to do it from another perspective. Maybe it's like this and this and this. And I go, well, let me tell you a story. You know, when I was, when I was 12, this thing happened to me. I remember the Jet magazine. You know what I mean? And there was Emmett Till. Whatever the story is that reminds them and shows them that I'm an expert. I always tell a story from my childhood, always, right? And I'll tell mm-hmm. them a story. And I'll almost be in tears sometimes because it's a passionate story that I have, you know, that reminded me of that moment I first saw that Jet Magazine cover, right? Just, just a spitball example, by the way, right? Right. And sure enough, they'll see how passionate I am. They'll be like, you know what, Hilliard, why don't you come back in two weeks and pitch me an idea on this, you know? And boom, that's how you come back. They don't call you in because of the script that they want to produce. Remember I was telling you earlier, everybody has six or seven projects they're already working on. They're not going to get your script and stop everything they're doing to do yours now. It, It happens, but it's very rare. And the only time it happens is when they're already looking for an Emmett Till project, for example, and they were burning to do one now because... You know, they already have Regina King, for example, you know, to direct it. You know what I mean? But they're looking for the right writer. That's when they're like, this, we're moving this up. We only have Regina for six months. You know what I mean? So that's why it gets right. pushed forward as an example. You know, not because your thing was the best thing written. No, that's not why they buy it. They buy it because they already had something in mind, something similar. Like, like my friend Stephen Canals wrote Pose, you know, <clears throat> as we all know with Ryan Murphy. The reason why that got pushed so fast, Ryan had another story he wanted to do based on the same world. He came in and, and gave him the, the idea that he was trying to figure out. Right. You know what I mean? That's when it moves forward. Hmm. And guess what? When it does, they send you an offer. They don't say, let's just have a meeting. You know what I mean? So that's something that I learned over all the years of pressure up yourself about, oh, my God, I got the script to, you know, this big producer. They read it. They want to meet me. Yeah, they just want to meet you to make sure you're somebody they can work with. They're not saying they want to produce your project. That was just a sample. People keep forgetting all your work is a sample. My Black Wall Street script is a sample for how I got this show I'm doing right now. It's a TV series, and I show them a movie. You know, what right. I, mean? I did that intentionally because I wanted them to see that I knew the themes they wanted to talk about. It's not about, oh, it's an action show. I'm showing my action script. The action script I wrote might not speak to the themes that they're talking about in theirs. So you got to make sure you you always send the right one. You know, <clears throat> that's how right. you get away with that. You know what I mean? So I'm sorry. I, I can go on and on and on. But I apologize. <laughs> no, that was good because going, uh, that man. was an excellent <laughs> tip. Yeah, that was a, a tip people may not realize as far as the strategy with that. Right. Um, it's that, all that strategy. Accurate. Exactly. It's like when you're an actor, you don't just go to an audition for a doctor, you know, in your combat boots. You know, you might put on something that implies that you're a doctor. You know what I mean? You don't have to wear a freaking, you know, smock. You just have to look clean, so it looks like you could put on smock, and you might be a doctor, for example. You know what I mean, depending on what type of doctor you are, you know. So that's 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 what I'm trying to say. No, I, I appreciate that, um, especially because uh, I actually you, uh, started. Yeah, I actually started uh, taking a course in, um, from this uh, guy, a guy um, Dan Danju or Danju, um, starting a, a film school. Um, so that I could learn um, that aspect um, of writing and um, creating and uh, producing. Um, and it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And um, I appreciate um, all the time you spent here with us today. And um, hopefully sometime in the future, after you created even more work, um, we could have you on to uh, promote even more stuff. 
Um, but for the people uh, that want to contact you and, and find you and, and, and your work, um, where, where can they contact you at and find you? Sure. they can. You guys can find me on Twitter, as I always say, at Hilliard mm-hmm. Guest. Um, also on Clubhouse at Hilliard Guest. Um, I'm on um, Instagram at Hilliard Guest, and you guys can find me on – you can find my show, Screenwriters Rant Room, on Twitter at ScreenwritersRR. Um, if you have any questions for me, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Thanks again for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. And um, no uh, have a great rest of your uh, day and, and continue all the great work. And thank you again. No problem. Okay. All the best to you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks. Peace. Uh, and there you have it, everybody. Um, my man, Hilliard Guest, uh, the amazing guest. Uh, <laughs> making so I was trying to get another rhyme for guests. But uh that was awesome man. Another great interview. I appreciate everybody for listening. You can find us on Block Talk Radio, iTunes, uh any podcast network basically because I, I like to spread that feed. Uh shout out to our sponsor, Dancing in Life. And to uh I'll put the link in my Twitter. Oh yeah, go to my Twitter um, Scovient. Also, it's on my Facebook, facebook.com slash vikingsmoscova. And uh, let's connect there. Shout out to everybody in the United States, Canada, um, India, um, Bangladesh. Uh, we got people in Australia, Australia listening, uh, UK, Brit- Britain, uh, Los Angeles, New Jersey, Woodbridge, South Amboy. <laughs> no, it's like, no. Um, but everyone, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you. And uh, let's continue great shows. And as this show spreads around the world globally, I will continue to have great, amazing guests on for you. Thank you, everybody. Peace and love. Your man, Vikens Moscova, signing out from Scova Media Podcast. Check us out next week and all the past archives. Peace out.